Hello Facebookers, welcome to episode number two of Health Hackers. My name is Gemma Evans, I'm a TV presenter and a journalist here in the UK and this is my series just for Facebook, it's called Health Hackers and it's where I interview some of the most pioneering and influential figures from the world of health. And sitting next to me today is my guest, Professor Tim Spector. We are in his research lab in London and we want to hear your questions. If you see me looking down a lot, it's because I've got my laptop here and I'm looking at what you're writing on my page so that I can put your questions to Tim. So I'm looking at all your comments and questions. want to hear what you think about Tim and his book and his views. This is his book, The Diet Myth. Um, Tim, while the questions are coming in, we're going to have a little chat about you and your background. And I should point out, everybody, that we're not offering any medical advice. This is just for information and discussion and opinion, and we're all learning together. You can consult your own doctors about your own medical conditions. Now, Tim, you know everything about the gut microbiome and genetics. I'd say that's correct. Is that right? Uh, well, we all know very little, so, uh, you know. You're modest. You probably know more than most of us, though, don't you? It's all relative, yes. Um, <laughs> give us a little overview of how you came to be this top expert in the gut microbiome and how important our microbiome is to us. Um, I came to be interested in it um, about six, seven years ago for selfish reasons, really. Firstly, uh, um, I, I got ill myself and I decided that um, I wanted to learn more about how best diets could, could suit me and it soon became obvious that no one really knew the answer to that and one of the reasons I thought no one was understanding anything is that we, we hadn't really understood about the gut microbiome um, which is this whole new organ in our bodies which we previously ignored and so uh, I really got into this whole field and diverted my research group's interest into discovering more about the, the microbiome we all have and how we're all so different uh, in, in, our, in our microbes and that this difference is how we all respond differently to foods and explains a lot of the, the mysteries that we've had before. So you call it an organ, mm -hmm. but is it just trillions and trillions of gut bacteria inside us? Yes, I mean, it, but in a way like any organ is, is trillions of or billions of cells stuck together, like our liver or whatever. Um, in fact, it's just held together in a skin. Um, and it's, it's a community that works together. So no microbe uh, acts on its own. It's all part of this living community of uh, trillions of these microbes. And they're all producing together chemicals and uh, vitamins and hormones and sending out signals as a group rather than as individuals. Okay. Are they mainly in our guts or does it go lower down? Well, 99% of them are in our guts. Most of them are in the lower part of the guts, the colon. Uh, and that's where we think most of the action is, but we're biased at the moment because that's what we can easily look at because, you know, we can measure it by taking samples of our poo, which we can't do from other bits of the body. But we're pretty sure that in terms of the numbers, the vast majority are, are there. We're not ruling out the fact that other bugs in other bits of our body in more discrete areas could also be having an impact. Okay. Um, Facebookers, if you just joined us, uh, this is Health Hackers Episode 2. This is Professor Tim Spector. He knows all about the gut microbiome. And if you've got a question about poop or anything else to do with your gut health, put it in the comment section. If I keep looking down, it's because I'm looking at what you're saying on my laptop and I can put your questions to Tim. Um, Tim, why do we want to have a happy, thriving micro microbiome? What's, what benefit will that bring us? Um, we know that the healthier your microbiome, the healthier 
uh, your body is in general because it means that your immune system is being well balanced, it's not over-responding, it's uh, giving you resistance against infections, uh, it's not overreacting to give you allergies. Um, also, if, if your microbiome is stable, which means it's full of diverse species, that also means that you're probably metabolically better so that uh, your body is self-regulating in terms of appetite and you're not massively overeating or undereating. You're just getting this balance right of, of, of the energy and the system, how it's working. So we also know that they produce a lot of our vitamins for us as well uh, and hormones and can affect our mood as much as anything else. So uh, and how we interact with medicines and drugs, etc. So. Yeah. Um, uh, I've got some questions on that coming up. Um, I will put your questions to Tim. I'll make sure he's aware of what you're all saying. Um, now, when I first met you, Tim, it was when I was making a documentary and I spoke to Tim about personalised medicine. And um, you told me that actually you can tell more about a person and, and what foods they should be eating to be most healthy um, by looking at a sample of their poop. Can you explain how calm that is? Um, yeah, so I was comparing it to DNA. Yeah. Um, because you know there are lots of tests out there of commercial companies trying to say we can measure your profile by measuring your genes and at the time I said well as a geneticist I can say that's pretty rubbish uh, statistically it might be true but actually at a personal level it's of virtually no use um, and so our microbes are so much more different than our, our DNA makeup we share only, for example, about 20 or 30% of our microbes, any, any two people, so you and I would, mm. wouldn't share very many at all. And so understanding how that community is and what's different should mean that um, I can tell whether you know, someone is healthy or um, whether they're more likely to get fat or get diabetes, um, looking at the general diversity of what's going on. And I can also try and now... Uh, use this information by, when you've got thousands of people to try and predict what the best foods are for people. Well, that's what I want to talk about your book now. This is Tim's book, The Diet Myth. You can see that there. Um, in here we talk about the way that we as a society have been told to eat largely for the last 30 years um, and told to do lots of exercise and um, go low fat, count calories. What's wrong with that, do you think? Um, it's just very old-fashioned. It's like you know, uh, very 20th century. Um, we only really understood food, food in terms of rather primitive concepts of in these very broad categories which are of fats and sugars and proteins. Um, and we've ignored one of the big ones which is fibre. But it's also missing the point because a food isn't just one of these three categories. Um, it's hundreds of chemicals. You take a banana, a banana is 600 different chemicals. Yeah. Which combined with the trillions of microbes, they will convert that into 6,000 chemicals. And those chemicals have effects on your body. And everyone is different, and so you, you and I will eat the same banana, but have different effects, because the chemicals are produced, and can be quite different. And it's until we understand that we can't, break, we can't simplify these into just these three blocks, because someone say, oh, fat is bad, yeah. you know, this is good, this is bad, it doesn't matter. It's the total amount of chemicals that you're getting and how they affect your body that are important. So uh, this is where we've lost track of. We've tried to simplify it and we've tried to say that calories in equals calories mm -hmm. out and that you know, one size fits all. And if everybody has 
this 2,000 calories a day, they'll be perfect. And of course, that advice has led to the whole world getting fatter. And erroneous advice that fat is bad for you, therefore avoid all things with fat, even healthy things, super healthy things like olive oil. People still do think that fat is bad Yes. fat. Some people. Because the government guidelines around the world have still included, you know, they won't admit that they're wrong. And uh, that, you know, yes, there are certain fats that are bad for you. And yes, there are certain fats that are good for you. Mm. Uh, but it's got to be taken in the context of the balanced foods you're eating. And we mustn't, if you throw away all everything with fat in it, you throw away lots of good things that so, makes our diets much more restrictive and therefore unhealthier. So that's why when you do a trial, people who have low fat diets end up worse off than people with uh, high fat diverse diets. That's interesting. So is diversity the key to staying slim? It appears to be the general factor. I mean, I'm, I'm not again, you know, for the reasons I've talked about the microbiome, it, I don't want to generalize and everybody is going mm. to be somewhat different. But if you had to have one rule, um, people on very restrictive diets don't do well and people who have the more diverse diets will have different things to eat every day, different nutrients, are going to have a more diverse group of microbes and those microbes, the more diverse they are, the healthier. So the more species you can create, uh, it's a bit like a gardener going in there trying to get as many different plants mm. in their garden as possible to grow and once you've got this really diverse community there, they're very stable, very hard to shift and super healthy. So they do you look think after that each if, other. if you put on weight, that's because your unique microbiome is responding to the foods that you're eating in a way that is making you put on weight, whereas the next person might have less of a response from their microbiome and they don't get fat from eating the same calories as the next person. Because you did a twin study on this, didn't you? Yes, we did. And, and the twin study sh clearly showed us that if you're overweight, you had a less diverse microbes here, less species in there uh, than, your, than the skinny twins. Really? Um, so that's clearly aligned and that mouse experiments have shown that if you take, uh, if you take um, a poo sample of faecal transplant from a, a, skinny, a skinny twin and you put it into a mouse, you'll keep that mouse skinny even if you overfeed them. So those microbes are doing a really good job working overtime to convert uh, metabolically, uh, keep that stuff away from being, going into fat. Mm. They're burning it up in ways we don't really understand, but that's what they're doing. And so your chances of having good microbes will, it, will increase the more you've got of them. So the people who have very limited numbers of microbes who have very limited diets, whether on just processed foods, have an increasingly small amount of nutrients in there, and only a, only a few yeah. microbe species like that restrictive diet, and they elbow the others out, and then they can't react in, in healthy ways. So if you should have a, a diverse diet to get lots of different types of bugs inside you, does mm. that include eating junk food as well for its diversity? Um, it's a good question. Um, I think... There's no harm in having the occasional bit of junk food. And I think we mustn't get away with this idea that these things are so deadly that mm. people get you know, paranoid about you know, being given one sausage you know, yeah. one, once a year at Christmas. Um, I think probably uh, having, you know, going, having a, a burger once a year could actually be good for your system because it does wake things up, you know, a bit of fat and a bit of uh, this other stuff. Um, my husband will be pleased to hear that. But you can only redo that safely if you've got a really high fibre, diverse diet on the basis of it. Okay. So, so that they've done this stuff in animals, where they, in mice, where they feed them lots of chickpeas, for example, 
sleep uh, and, and other lentils and build up their fiber levels. Mm -hmm. And then they give them intermittent burgers equivalent of a high fat meal and they don't uh, put on weight. Whereas if they're given those burgers without that baseline, really, they, they do. So I think it's all about, you know, everything in moderation, but getting this mix and getting your base right. And so, you know, I don't want to demonize all foods, you know, and they're, you know, totally against this, this sort of concept of the clean, clean eating. There's such a, a thing as a clean. We're talking uh, about the kind of primal outlook where it's not eating anything processed, eating meats and veggies. Yes, because... You don't want to demonize that. No, I mean, and I think, you know, everything is, it's very hard to avoid any processed food. I mean, processed food, what is processed food? It's cheese, right? Mm. I mean, you know, someone's processing it for you, yeah, you're making it. Yeah. Uh, you've got the milk and you make it, processing it to make it in something. And that's very good for you generally, lots of microbes in it. Yogurt is processed, you know, all kinds of things. Uh, it depends where you draw the line. I mean, ultra processed food that, you know, is, it's got so many chemicals in it. Mm -hmm keep those, you know, to absolute minimum. But uh, I don't think we want to be too black and white about this because otherwise people will go into this very narrow band of things they, they feel they should mm -hmm. eat. Is that why you called your book The Diet Myth? Because it's all, it's all a myth. It, Every diet's a fad in your view, is that right? Pretty much, uh, <laughs> that, 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 that is it, yes. And, and most diet, or virtually all diets, end up people restricting what they eat, which actually, has a long-term effect of reducing your microbes and therefore they're less able to, to cope with you know, modern living. Uh, Facebookers, thank you for your questions. I keep looking down, it's not me being rude, it's because I'm looking at what you're saying on my Facebook page. I'm going to put your questions to Tim now, but I need to remind you we're not giving any medical advice. We're just having a discussion and if you have a medical issue then that's best to sort out with your own doctor. So Tim, uh, Eve would like to know, should we listen to our bodies and eat what we feel like? Is that our microbes craving a certain taste? Should we feed them what they want? Um, it's a good question, and I, I don't think there's a single answer because there are some instances where um, they've found some young kids who, you know, at the age of six, weigh about, um, you know, 10 stone. Um, at six? Um, okay. They're just barrels because they've got a single species of microbe that's taken oh, over. Wow. And that uh, is very highly inflammatory and, and seems to be driving their appetite. So um, these are rare occasions that you can get these cravings due to an appetite. And when they wiped out that microbe um, and they totally sort of transformed that kid's uh, uh, gut, then the, the cravings went away. So, so um, maybe don't. Maybe don't we always. Um, but at the same time, I do like the idea that you know we should. You should listen to your gut in some respects, um, and trial and error is important. But um, your your microbes could be fooling you because they don't always have um, your interests at heart. Mostly they really do, but, but occasionally you get a rogue group group in there that. Um, well, of course, have Yes. Uh, Rich would like to know what are the best foods and drinks to improve gut health. Um, that's. Uh, uh, very broadly, um, uh, food, foods that are high fiber. So that's the first thing because they've so that's got veggies. That, so fiber is what microbes live off. Basically, it's the hard to digest foods that can actually get to the colon. Most of the, the processed foods that we all eat 
uh, absorb, they have lots of sugar and fat and they absorb very early. So you want some complex plants. So veggies are the number one. Um, fruits uh, are the second ones. Uh, and then you've got fermented foods. So uh, anything that's fermented, so the yogurts, the kefirs, kefirs. the kimchi, the sauerkrauts. Um, and your your Japanese uh, fermented soy kombucha. products, or kombucha, yeah. anything fermented, and even fermented chocolate. Um, is there such a, a thing? Oh. Well, uh, most chocolate, if it's good quality, is actually fermented. Yes. Okay, so that's it uses microbes. So, so, and and then the, and also the the other thing is these um, foods that contain polyphenols, because mm -hmm. polyphenols are uh, a particular energy source for microbes. So. Anything brightly coloured generally has got polyphenols in it. Olive oil. Olive oil has masses of polyphenols. Blueberries, uh, blueberries raspberries, blackberries. Um, they're all high polyphenols as well as, uh, as I said, uh, lots of dark chocolate, um, uh, peanuts, uh, seeds, um, uh, coffee, green tea. Um, and this is all, all good for feeding our microbes and in turn making it more diverse which makes us healthier. Yes. And slimmer. And some and happier, of them, would you say? Um, in general, yes. Um, I think they can improve your mood. I mean, oh. in, in animals, they've, they've, they've been able to change anxiety and depression. Um, That's fascinating. Uh, just by manipulating the microbes. Well, yeah, I mean, I've got another question. Is there a link between gut health and mental health of any kind, whether that's depression, autism, or dementia? Have you done any studies on that? Um, yes, I mean, some of them we have. I mean, there's some published studies on uh, autism, showing that um, particularly kids they've they've studied they they've shown um, really reduced diversity of microbes uh, in autism and in mouse models when they've replaced it they've improved um, the mouse model of autism by improving the microbes. So. There's anecdotal stories of, of uh, some kids changing their microbes and improving their mood. Now, there are practical problems about doing that because many uh, uh, these kids have some very mm. fastidious diets they don't want to change, but it's, in theory it's, it looks possible. Um, similarly, depression, anxiety in humans, generally we see differences in the microbes and uh, in animal models they know they can change the mood by transplanting from a happy mouse to, a, to an anxious Do you mouse. Know which, so if you were anxious or depressed, would you know which strains of microbes would help improve? Not yet, that? no. Not yet. So a lot of this stuff is, 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 is crude. We know that it has major effects, but we don't know the specifics and don't know exactly how we'd transform that into a particular uh, probiotic or, or group of microbes to do it. But we know the potential's there and we know that the blunderbuss approach, which is a, like a fecal transplant, mm. is, is something that does have an effect and it's, it's going to take us a few years to work out what it is in that whole group of everything that's, that's really With working. your stool transplants, have you ever found that you could take um, the stool of a, a thin person and transplant it into an overweight person and see the overweight person then lose weight? Um, yes, well, we've done that with our twin experiments, but it's been in, in mice. Um, the, um, there's been uh, two studies now of overweight or obese diabetics where they've been given um, poo transplants from thin people. Mm. 
Um, and the results have been not sensational, but they've, they've helped the diabetes. Really? Uh, so the diabetes level, the sugar levels yeah. have improved. Um, <clears throat> Did they lose weight? But they didn't significantly lose weight. And the problem is, in, in these, in these uh, fecal transplant experiments, it seems to be that only a proportion of people respond. So, um, like in ulcerative colitis, which is very common mm. uh, autoimmune disease that can be really quite bad, one in four people uh, go into complete get a cure with a fecal transplant, um, wow. but three quarters don't. And we're trying to work out yeah. why it is that, that that some people respond or not. And I think this is going to be the case with obesity as well. So we're still a way off, but. If you've got a severe disease and it means you don't have to take drugs again, yeah. most people would take a, a one in four, one in five shot yeah. well, rather than taking drugs for, for, for years. Yeah. Well, talking of poop, I've seen you tweeting about oral capsules mm -hmm. filled with poop. What's all that about? Um, well, there's lots of ways of getting your normal donor poop into you. Oh, right. Um, and this is so you can have it through a tube down your nose, or up your bottom, or... I think aesthetically, um, these um, so-called crapsules are uh, where the future is because uh, you can manufacture them easily, they're frozen, and you just take 30 of these and swallow them, and they, they don't open up until they get to your lower colon. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um, uh, basically that's a way that you can get someone else's microbes in you pretty quickly and this is what a lot of these new trials are using so mm -hmm. they're actually commonplace in the US and we're just a bit slow in this country in the UK okay Facebookers I've, I've got your questions here I'm putting them to Tim um, Rosie would like to know how does the microbiome change or affect our hormonal balance if at all um, we're not seeing major changes on hormones uh, when we've looked say premenopausal women and postmenopausal women just with the microbes, and there probably are some, but they're, they're quite subtle. Um, some mouse experiments have interestingly shown uh, differences when you transplant from a male to a female and a female to a male. At the moment, when you ask for a, a donor, you don't specify the, oh, yeah. the, the, the gender. Yeah. Um, and so at the moment, everyone's quite happy because they're very sick generally, so I don't mind who I get mine from. Mm. Um, there's some evidence that it, it, in these animals that it could be uh, just there is a subtle difference between male and female uh, gut microbes. But if they are, it's pretty pretty subtle at the moment. Uh, Jan would like to know your view on I won't name the brand, but the little yogurt drink drinks that you buy in supermarkets. She finds them quite expensive, but her son insists on having one every morning. Is there an alternative that would be better? Um, I think no one really knows. We know in general probiotics. Do seem to work for people who are sick, people who are young, people who are old, or people on antibiotics. There's no hard evidence yet they work in uh, probiotics supplements. This is work on people who are, who are normal, they don't prevent things. Um, so I'm generally in favour of using food, uh, so yogurts, kefirs, mm. uh, cheese, rather than uh, expensive supplements. Yeah. Uh, but if you are going to buy a supplement, make sure it's got billions of, of microbes in there and it's pretty fresh and it's from a reputable brand. And there are studies showing that if you take those, if you're taking antibiotics, you know, it's a, it's a good thing to do. Um, would they ever be destroyed by the added 
by any added sugar potentially to yes, um, shop-bought ones? We, we think they inhibit it. Uh, sugar, if you mix sugar and microbes, that in, you know, sugar is, a, is, a, is an antibacterial uh, substance used to keep things bacteria away. So you, you, you should never really mix your yogurt with sugar Mm -hmm. uh, directly, it won't work as well, and so that's, that goes for these other products. But they tend to use artificial sweeteners, which again, uh, you know, I'm not sure is a great idea. So um, some of these ones are a bit too sweet when you take um, them. Do you think that in today's day and age, with all our processed food, that we are inadvertently destroying a lot of our gut microbes? Um, we're certainly disrupting them. Um, you, you destroy them really by starving them. Primarily, so if you don't give them fiber, um, oh. that that for long periods of time you can wipe them out. And uh, if you remember, I did this experiment on my son. Yes. Uh, Tell with, our viewers about with that. With the tent. So uh, during my book, I was doing all kinds of experiments um, myself, and I just finished the three-day uh, raw milk French cheese diet, which I totally recommend for day one. Day two, not so good. By day three, you really had enough cheese, believe me. Um, and I was due to Please do... don't repeat any of these experiments at home. Yeah. Um, and uh, I was due to do the 10 days of only eating at McDonald's. And as you can imagine, I was really looking forward to that. Uh, but then um, my son came along and volunteered. Um, uh, and he was a student, he was hard up for money, and he actually liked McDonald's. Um, uh, and so uh, he, he did this and... Uh, after 10 days, he'd lost about 40% of his diversity of this species. And although I sent him parcels and uh, fruit parcels and, and vegetables yeah. afterwards, he never really f fully recovered from that. So actually, even a year later, he's still down. When we've tested our own microbes, I'm at the, right, the top of the British population scale, and he's, he's right down the bottom. So he keeps reminding me um, of what I've done to him. Um, now... It may recover in time, we don't really know, but it is a lesson there that if you, you know, go for some long period of time really on a very restrictive diet, I think you've got to be very careful. And this is what, it's not just McDonald's, but it, you know, all kinds of restrictive diets when people are just going on one thing, whether it's a paleo diet, you only have meat or whatever it is, certain species can't, can't survive very long without it. I see. Um, did you tell McDonald's, did you get a response from them? No, uh, and I don't think it's anything specific about McDonald's, uh, you know, and... Um, it's not it, specific to McDonald's, and we don't encourage anyone to repeat that experiment. You know, if you'd just gone up, you know, whether it be been any other chicken restaurant or a, um, anything else. The nature food. was that it was a restricted diet, in that he just ate the same thing. Highly processed food with negligible amounts of fibre, and if you do that for a, length, you know, a long length of time, I think they've shown that in, in animal mice... It, you get different bacteria coming out and you can start to erode the lining of the gut and have all kinds of other problems. So, um, Are there environmental ways in which we are causing an imbalance in our gut diversity? Like, um, is using antibacterial hand soap contributing to... Is anything antibacterial killing off our good bacteria? Yes. So there's a trade-off really here between, you know, our modern world where we're trying to be avoid outbreaks of nasty viruses, norovirus and these other things, or salmonella outbreaks or campylobacter um, in food handling. 
uh, versus people taking that into their homes and going being overzealous. And generally in the home, you know, if you just be careful around what you're cooking, uh, whether it's you're cooking chicken or whatever, you mm. make sure that you, you wash things afterwards. But some people just take it to extremes and are doing far too much um, hygiene, and that is, with overwashing, you're, you're killing off a lot of our microbes and reducing the amount we have, because when we compare ourselves with hunter-gatherers who don't have all these things, they have nearly double the amount of the diversity of microbes that we do. Um, so. In your book, you talk about a, a kind of hygiene hypothesis with allergies as well. Do you think it's um, clean living that has led to such a massive increase in allergies in the last 20 years? I think it's a major contributing factor. No one really understands where this came from, but you know, um, the first real recorded food allergy was you know, when the, the year man was on the moon, 1969. Uh, and we forget, we just think it must have been massively common. But I, you know, at school, I didn't have anyone I knew with a food allergy. Uh, it's happened really in the last sort of twenty odd years. This massive uh, increase, and we have to look why. And I think it's partly restricted diets, which re reduces your microbes, um, processed food, overuse of antibiotics, mm -hmm. uh, increase in cesarean sections. So one in four uh, Britons are now born by cesarean section, which means you don't get the microbes from the mother as nature intended, um, and. All these things are driving this this uh, allergy, and also we're not playing in the dirt as we used to be. You know, very few people get to roll kids get to roll around in the garden and you know swallow a bit of soil and this kind of stuff. But uh, so we've got a question meant to um, on this subject from my mum who's watching. Um, now I have a severe life-threatening uh, nut allergy. My sister has some allergies, and my mum says in her words that we grew up in a house that was never clean. But yet, my mum grew up in a house that was spotless, and she doesn't have any allergies or any health issues at all. Is there any way to explain that, or is it down to our genes, maybe? Um, that we're allergic, but we had a dirty house, and she's not allergic, but she had a spotless house. I can't explain that. I think <laughs> these these things are all the all, everything I'm talking about here is based on populations. So rather than individuals, and so what you say is in this population, your risk is double or treble if you. Mm. And we do know that people who came from uh, well, come from smaller homes, uh, who are better, more well off, will have more allergies than someone who's poorer and had many really? brothers and sisters. So that's been known for about thirty years now. Is that just because there are more germs and they get a more diverse? That's the theory that there's more germs being passed around. So, although you're, you're you know, and it's all relative. Um, so I don't know how dirty your house was and how uh, how, how you were how your mum was uh, dealing with it, but I suspect that you know, uh, and we know that people, people with dogs, for example, have generally less allergies because people with dogs have more microbes as well. So it's always hard to make individual, uh, but in general, we've been going the yeah. wrong direction. Do you think if I got a dog now as an adult, it would help me be more resistant? It would help me get over my allergies? Um, I don't know the answer to that. It could make you worse, it could make you better. Um, but I think in general, you know, you will get more microbes, so if you, I think in, it, it could be worth a try. If it, I'm genuinely interested in this. Do you wash your fruit and veg? Because I guess if you leave it a bit dirty, you might get more microbes. That, a very good question and it's a real dilemma I think it depends where the fruit and veg come from mm 
So if I'm getting organic uh, fruit and veg, I generally don't wash it. And I know where it's come from. Um, if it's uh, stuff that I don't know where it's from, uh, or it's from a major supermarket, uh, it's likely to be full of pesticides. So rinsing it will get rid of a lot of the pesticides, which I don't want to be mm. ingesting because they're bad for my microbes. So okay. um, it, it, it's really hard for people to know which way to go. Mm. Um, it's a bit like, do you peel the, you know, do you peel off the skin of what you're eating as yeah. well? Because that's where most of the nutrients are, the polyphenols that are in there, um, mm. uh, the fibres in there, but also you've got quite a few pesticides in there as well. So, you, you know, we're caught, sometimes caught in a rock and a hard place. But if you know where your, your vegetables are coming from, that's the best, that's the best way to guarantee uh, what to eat. And then, you know, I, I don't worry about washing them then. A uh, question about sporting performance. Can you um, tell us what the best way to boost sporting performance might be through gut health? And are there any tips on staving off coughs and colds, improving immunity? Um, if I had the, that's like having, have you got the secret of the universe, you know? So um, avoid well, all coughs and colds. I'd love to say I do, but um, <laughs> uh, unfortunately I'm a scientist rather, rather than just a... Um, uh, do it for publicity so um, all these things are complex made up of lots you know so avoiding coughs and colds certainly since I've changed my diet anecdotally I've had much less uh, coughs and colds than I used to because you've improved your diversity I I've definitely improved my diversity I know that and I think that's had an effect on my immune system so mm -hmm. um, again people who have a wide variety of, of, of foods particularly high plant-based foods um, uh, will improve their immunity uh, on average, um, and in you know, sporting sporting performance, um, there's not that much work being done on um, on sports. Generally, sporty, healthy people have more diverse microbes than uh, than not. We don't know if that's cause or effect, um, but certainly all the evidence is pointing they are they are related. People with good gut health will do better. Uh, most of the studies of are at treadmills of mice running in their little cages, mm. so it's hard to know how they relate to humans. So we do need some better uh, human trials of that. So really, diversity is key for everything. Yes, and I think diverse, diversity with the right foods as well. I mean, it's not just saying let's have let's have ten different types of crisps every day. You know, that's um, I think no. you know it's uh, we want the prebiotic fibers, the veggies, and all the polyphenols. And the polyphenols. I think increasingly we're going to see polyphenols. Um, you know, soon have on the packet how many polyphenols this this contains. That'd be great. Um, we can't get through all these questions, but I'm just going to end on one subject, and that's the gut skin connection. Um, we've had a question. Uh, from Craig about particular foods that could help skin disorders but I'm also genuinely interested because I had a really stubborn case of dermatitis and after a few months of drinking a, a type of kefir I found that it, it disappeared and that seemed to be the only significant variable I don't know for certain whether it was that so I'm fascinated to see what you think about this gut skin connection whether microbes can help cure skin diseases or conditions yeah well there's definitely always been a connection between the, the gut and the skin, we've known that. And so um, many of gut conditions uh, also influence the skin, so you get rashes and things like that. Um, 
in that way, like psoriasis, and, and you're referring to things like eczema, which are very common, that's uh, due to inflammation. And so the idea is if you can get your microbes to produce anti-inflammatory chemicals, then they can have an effect on your skin. And this is what we believe is happening with these cases, and there are quite a few anecdotal stories of uh, young kids with eczema um, being put on lots of fermented products and um, you know, gut-friendly diets who can improve. And it's because I think that these natural anti-inflammatory chemicals are coming from the microbes and helping them out. So, you know, good research is now there, but all the anecdotal stuff is, is pointing that there's a, there is a, a reason for this. It's not just... Uh, it's not just Made a up. spontaneous thing. No. Um, Tim, thank you for answering all of our Facebookers questions. And Facebookers, thank you for watching Great episode questions, guys. number two of Health Hackers. We love your questions. I'm going to lean in to stop the live feed and say join me in January for episode three. I've got a really good guest. Uh, just as good as Tim. Tune in then and I'll tell you more soon. Bye-bye.